We are in the middle of a teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we talked about uh, giving, praying, and fasting, which are some of the ways that we draw near to God. We skipped over the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to come back to it today, but before we read that, I want to make one connection back to last week's sermon. If you remember, Jesus talked a lot about the reward of being a disciple. And I said that we are not living the Christian life only to get a a grand prize in heaven. Okay? Instead, this is an intrinsic reward. It It is our relationship with God that is the prize. Being with Him. Being or becoming more like Him, um, helping others to come to know Him. That is the reward, right? And so our religious practices, those things that we talked about, praying, fasting, giving, those things only matter in the sense that they are bringing us closer to the Father. That's what they're designed to do. And so keep that in mind as we read the Lord's Prayer uh, this morning, and we're going to begin in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. It says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The Greek word for empty phrases is so unique that we think Jesus actually just made it up. It's not found anywhere else in any literature. And that actually makes sense because that's what pagans are doing when they pray. They're just making up prayers. And so if you read the word, it it sounds a lot like our word for babbling And it probably means something like blah, blah, blah. Okay? So Jesus says, do not heap up your blah, blah, blahs. Okay? So the idea is this. When you pray, don't go on and on making up things to say to God because we don't get extra credit for using extra words. In fact, Jesus... Of course, we know Jesus has a perfect relationship with His Father. And the longest prayer in the Bible that was by Jesus that's recorded in the Gospels, it's found in the New Testament in John 17. But you can say that entire prayer in about 90 seconds. It's really not all that long. And you would think if prayer is such an important part of the Christian life, that there would be just pages and pages and pages of prayers in the Bible. And there are many prayers in the Bible, but none of them are all that long. Or complicated. And there's a sense in which prayerfulness should be constant and our lives should be marked by little prayers all day long. Paul actually tells us specifically to pray without ceasing. But what Jesus has in mind here is what he says the Gentiles do, which was this kind of formulaic, ritualistic prayer. 
Um, they pray because it's part of their religion to do so, but they have no idea who they're talking to or what their made-up gods want to hear. I was watching a, a show recently that was set in kind of an Indian culture, an East Indian culture, and there's something that this person wanted to happen, and they weren't even particularly a religious Hindu. It was kind of a, a marginal Hindu. Um, but they went to a shaman or somebody, and they said, well, you should pray this way. And so the next scene kind of shows them with the smoke and the incense and all the little idols set up, and they're saying what they're supposed to say. But there's no... You don't get the impression that there's anything beyond that. It's just a ritual. And this is, I think, what Jesus is talking about. He's asking us not to talk to God that way. He doesn't want to hear your ritualistic, formulaic prayers. Verse 8. He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this is why Jesus asks us not to make up long prayers. Keep it simple, he says, because your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I think that raises an important question. And maybe you've asked this question. If God already knows, why do I pray anyway? Right? If he already knows what I'm going to say, if he already knows what I need, why pray at all? And it is true, we're not... When we pray, we're not telling God something that He doesn't already know. Neither are we trying to convince God to do something as if He might be lazy or disinterested in our lives. So why then does God ask us to pray? I believe that God tells us to pray because it changes us not Him. It is an act of dependence. The emphasis is on our humble reliance on Him. It's not on our magic words or our ritualistic content or how we pray or you know, what we're saying so much as it is about whether or not our hearts and our minds are engaged in the prayer. Because if they are not engaged in the prayer, then it is worthless. Because the most basic truth about prayer is that we're talking to a relational God. A God who created human beings in His image. And just as we cannot live without communicating with other human beings, God designed us to have a relationship with Him and communication is involved. According to Jesus, the relationship that we have with God is like a father and a child. So God, yes, God already knows. God already knows what you need. God already knows what you're going to say before you say it. But He still wants to hear it from you. And it's less about the content and more about the relationship. And so then Jesus gives us, in the Sermon on the Mount, He gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's probably better thought of as the Disciples' Prayer. But it's a basic pattern for prayer. And it starts like this. 
Jesus says, pray then like this, or in this manner. Okay, so I'm going to present the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for prayer or a guide. And I want you to notice that Jesus intentionally uses short, simple phrases. We teach this prayer to our children because even the smallest children can remember it, right? We teach them to say it, you know, as they're going to bed at night or, you know, it's, it's, it's very simple and it's intentionally very simple. And I'm going to add a lot of words to try to explain the meaning behind each phrase. But please don't miss the intentional simplicity of Jesus' prayer. You know, there is depth and there is meaning to it. But I want you to notice how simple and how childlike it is at the same time. Okay? So he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, so when we pray, we're speaking to a God who is both near and far. He is my father. We have this parent child relationship. God wants me to think of it that way. But he's also in heaven and he is holy. Right. We don't go around using the word hallowed, except when we're saying this prayer. But that's essentially what it means. He's he's different. He's holy. He is other. He's he's um, he's awesome, right? He's he is both near and far. And Jesus begins this prayer by focusing our attention on the character of God and on our relationship with him. The idea being that when we pray, we begin with a correct understanding of who we're talking to. That that matters. Okay? I'm not praying to Santa Claus in heaven. Right? I'm not praying to Zeus or Allah or Vishnu or Buddha. This is Yahweh. This is the the God of the Bible. This is the Holy One, the Creator of heaven and earth. He is the only true God. And this is who Jesus teaches us to pray to. But he's also my father. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is the first um, prayer request. And the Lord's prayer is basically just that. It's just a couple of different requests that Jesus teaches us to make of God. Before we start asking for things that we need and things that we want, Jesus instructs us to pray for something that God actually wants. God wants His kingdom to come. God wants His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, in heaven, the angels know God. They know what God wants and they serve Him as King. And that is not yet true of the whole earth, right? Everyone on the earth does not know or love God or serve Him. And so when we pray this prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for that to happen. For everyone on the earth to come to know and to worship God rightly. That's what this prayer is saying. 
So this is an example of us saying to God, I want what you want, God. Help me to see what you want. Help me to want what you want. That's what this this phrase means. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, it's it's funny, but... um, some people over the years have been tempted to read this line and because they, they, they just can't imagine that Jesus is just saying to pray for bread. And so they will try to over-spiritualize this prayer. Now surely what Jesus is talking about is spiritual food, right? Actually, I think no. I think what Jesus is literally talking about is bread. He's teaching His disciples to literally pray, Father, please feed me today. Why does that matter? I think because as a pattern for how we pray, physical needs are included. Jesus actually wants us to pray for God to provide for our physical needs. Now, this may not mean as much to us. We live in a first world country. Most of us don't miss a meal, right? But it does bring our focus back to just the basic things that that we need to survive. And this is admitting to God that we do have physical needs. And He's the one who provides them. And I'm trusting my Father in heaven to provide for my needs. Okay, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus teaches us to pray for our physical needs to be met. And then he immediately says, and now I want you to ask for God to meet your spiritual needs. Just as we ask God to provide for our physical needs, we're asking for him to provide for our spiritual needs. Most importantly, forgiveness. But notice the second half of this verse. He says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're going to come back to this because we're going to see in verses 14 and 15, this is actually the heart of the prayer. This is actually, I think, probably the main point of the prayer. But we're going to come back to it because I want you to see how the prayer ends. So first, verse 13, Jesus says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, So Jesus ends the prayer with a request for guidance and protection. He's saying, Father, help me not to compromise. Help me not to fall. And as I'm going out into the world and you're guiding me, would you also protect me from the enemy? Would you protect me from evil? And we face a real enemy from whom we need real spiritual protection. And I want to note, I want you to notice, I mean, this is a third of the things that God asks us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Guidance and protection. And I think if we're honest, most of our prayer lives are kind of focused on the first part, right? Provide for my physical and spiritual needs. But this is actually a really important part of the prayer. 
We need protection, and God is the one who provides that. So take the prayer as a whole, and you put it back into context of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been teaching his disciples how to think about their faith differently from the religious leaders, and now also from the pagans, from the Gentiles. Okay, So that's the context of the prayer. And so as he teaches us to pray... He's saying, I want you to be different from the religious leaders. I want you to be different from the pagans. And this is how I want you to pray. So in contrast to the religious leaders, this prayer is preoccupied with the glory of God and not the glory of self. You see that? But then in contrast to the pagans, to the Gentiles, this prayer is preoccupied with this this humble thoughtfulness instead of just kind of meaningless ritual. The prayer is simple. It's only 57 words in Greek, most of them very short, brief words, very easy to memorize, very easy for a child to repeat. There are no wasted words, there are no big words. It's a really simple prayer. He's my father. He's the king. He provides for me. He forgives me. He wants me to forgive other people. He guides me. He protects me. Amen. That's it. And my application is pretty simple. We don't need a lot of fancy words to have a healthy relationship with God. there's one more thing and I want you to notice again verse 12 I call this the heart of the prayer and I'll tell you why in just a minute he says and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors now look at what Jesus says immediately following the prayer in verse 14 he says for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here's the question that we have to ask. Is Jesus... um, Let's put verse 14 and 15. There you go. Is Jesus here teaching that God will only forgive us on the condition that we first forgive others? Because on the surface, that's exactly what it sounds like, right? And that would be a problem because the gospel tells us that God's forgiveness is never a reward for our works, right? God's not holding a condition that he he expects us to keep in order to receive mercy, that would destroy the good news of the gospel. So knowing that that can't be what Jesus means here, what does he mean? Um, And this is a little tricky, but bear with me, okay? The Bible teaches clearly that we have done nothing to earn our salvation, that God's forgiveness is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And so I believe that Jesus stated it this way, speaking to disciples who have already received the forgiveness of God, to make it clear that we have an obligation to forgive as his disciples. In the same way that God has forgiven us, we have an obligation to now forgive others. Okay? In fact, the gospel demands it. And I think Jesus said it this way to make that crystal clear. Jesus mentions my sin before he mentions the sin of someone else. In order to remind me of how much I have been forgiven. Because my tendency, and maybe yours as well, is to exaggerate the sins of other people and minimize my own sin. But Jesus wants me humbled. And He knows that I'm not about to forgive anybody who's harmed me unless I'm humbled. And so I think Jesus is teaching it in this way to make that point. Jesus says it this way, forcing me to pray about my own spiritual need before I address the sins of others. You see that? Now remember, the entire Sermon on the Mount is about the fruit of repentance. And Jesus has said some really hyperbolic things, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And nobody takes that literally. And yet it means something. In many ways, the greatest example of a life that is being shaped by the grace of God is the ability to forgive someone who has hurt you. And that's why I think this is the heart of the Lord's Prayer. If you cannot bring yourself to forgive someone who has wronged you, then Jesus is suggesting that perhaps you have not experienced the grace of God in your life. And so this is a prayer of humility. Having the right words, having a lot of words, that's not important. The question is, is your heart engaged? Do you sense the need for God's help? And I want to also say that the reason that our words are less important than our hearts is because Scripture tells us that Jesus is actually praying for us. And Romans 8 also says that the Holy Spirit is also praying for us. And so God knows what we need better than we do. And the second person and the third person of the Trinity are praying for those needs. For us. So we can go to the Father knowing that we are already covered in perfect prayer. I'm not really adding anything to what Jesus is already saying for me. The longer I've been a Christian, 
the more compelled I am to pray. And I think it's because the more I feel the need to talk to God. And I think that's probably normal. As, as a younger Christian, as a young man, um, I became a Christian around age 18, 19. Um, I honestly didn't pray much. I mean, I, I didn't feel the need to pray often. If I did pray, it was probably like feeling the obligation to pray and saying some stuff. But it wasn't necessarily coming from the heart, right? I didn't feel as needy as I do now. Now, do I need God more today than I did then? Of course not. I needed Him then, I need Him now, I'm going to need Him tomorrow. But the more I have experienced the consequences of sin and death in this world, the more I've experienced the consequences of my own sin, the more aware I have become of God's grace in my life, the more aware I've become of my need for God's help. And so I want to speak to you, especially if you're, if you're new in the faith or if you're young and the whole religious side of Christianity, you're struggling with it. Maybe you feel frustrated with your own prayer life or the lack thereof. My encouragement to you is this. I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on your need and on God's character. And there's really no better place to begin than the cross. And the reason I say that is because if you can capture the truth, like if, if your sin required the death of God's only Son, and He was willing to give that, there's your motivation to talk to Him. And that's really where it begins for every Christian is understanding the forgiveness and what it cost God. It was not free. It's free. It's freely offered to us, but it was not free for Him to create it. It cost Him His Son. And I don't think there's any better motivation than just reflecting on that. You will not find that or anything close to it in any other religion on the planet. Every other motivation to pray is just because I'm supposed to. Because I'm better if I do. It's just blah, blah, blah. It's just different. This is a relationship. And it's grounded in the reality of the cross. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You are near to us, even as we know You are holy, even as we know that You are the Creator, You are all-powerful. You're in Heaven, but we have Your ear. 
Lord, I pray that You would give us a childlike faith, that we would pray from a place of need, that we would respond to Your grace, that, you would, that we would find You to be enough. You are the answer to our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to stand together and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's stand together and sing.